You're listening to Women in Wealth WordPress, a podcast dedicated to the pursuit of female empowerment and financial freedom through the wonderful world of web design. Hi Jess, how are you? Hello, it is coffee o'clock, but I'm doing okay. Uh, it's coffee o'clock for me too. I need your mind to kick in. I'm so stoked to have you here today. I have been following you for a while online and always loved everything you've done and put out and then recently joined your mastermind, The Big Lifers. And every session I have with you, I come away so blown away by you. I have a lot of respect for you and what you've accomplished and you always have such good advice and you tell it straight and you're friendly and personable and also yourself. And I just think that is such a beautiful thing to see a woman in business succeeding, but just being so authentic and just impressive and smart and all of these things. You make my day all the time. So I'm stoked to have you here and learn from you. But can you give everyone a bit of an overview of who you are and what you do? Yeah, it always feels so ridiculous when I say this. I say it on TikTok all the time and it makes me want to gag. But I have five kids and three businesses because apparently <laughs> I'm a glutton for punishment. And funnily enough, neither of those things were a plan. I never planned to have five kids and I never yeah. planned to have three businesses. So yeah, I am a full-time working mum of five kids that I like a solid 50% of the time. And I pride myself <laughs> on being a pretty terrible mother or what people would call a terrible mother. And I have three businesses. So the biggest, I guess, the one most people know me for is Olive Louise Social, which say marketing agency here in Brazil that specialize in e-commerce and lifestyle brands. And then the second is the Bell Evolution, which is a platform for women in business that do mostly events. And then we have masterminds, memberships, mentoring programs, etc. And the third is a brand new baby, which is extending some of those conversations into schools and universities for young people called 4PM. I just left school and went, man, there's some really important stuff I needed to know, like money and different career mm. opportunities that isn't swayed at grades, but really who I am and what I want to be and how to wrestle some of those big things. So we're just going to try and tackle some of those conversations in non-cheesy ways. That is so exciting. I know you mentioned this at our last conference day that you were getting started with it, but oh gosh, it's such a good idea because... I'm sure everyone has this conversation and says the same thing, but some of the shit you learn in high school is just so useless. Algebra, oh. and, yeah, what they need to be focusing is, on is confidence and maybe how to read a profit and loss statement. Or like, tax. Yeah. And just really <laughs> practical things. I think starting my entrepreneurship journey and realizing you could really actively learn things like resilience and confidence and communication that are so important to overall success in any industry as a human being that mm. the schools can't tackle and whether or not it's their job or the parent's job, who knows. And look, it is a great idea and everyone says that, but as a business model, it's really bloody dumb because the target market have no money. It's going to pay me to fix this problem. <laughs> and it's, it's really a gray area of is it the parents' issues or is it the school's issue and how do we tackle this within their budgets and their curriculum? And it's an absolute bloody nightmare, but we'll figure it out. Yeah, yeah definitely. I think grants and I think it's probably also the kind of thing that a lot of people who are really successful and older entrepreneurs that have done the thing and have the money would probably donate money to as well. Yeah. So there's so many avenues and you've thought of them already, but still wrestling that one. Yeah. 
Okay, thank you so much. I remember in your bio that you said you started out in a bit of a corporate career in learning and development and sales, and then you've migrated towards starting Olive Louise Social. So can you tell us a little bit about kind of the transition and how that came about and what that journey's been like? Yeah, I had my children really young, so I didn't have a lot figured out about life, but I did know that I was a really great leader. Every job I'd always had, whether it be McDonald's or retail or hospitality, I became a manager very quickly and I loved that, but I was really unsettled. And when I had my first child, it was just about survival. How can we make money in amongst this? And I started a family daycare and hated every second of it, but did that for a couple of years. And when I had my second and we thought we were done, haha, funny, then I was really wrestling as a 22-year-old with no uni degree and two kids under two with what I was going to do. And I look back now and I think that uncomfortableness was because I knew that I didn't want anything unordinary. And I looked back into those conversations in high school and I could see so many signs, another big driver for 4pm that I, I didn't fit a normal pathway, but there was no one in my world talking about entrepreneurship or business owning or anything about women doing the juggle differently. Dare I show my age and say Instagram had only just come out. And so there wasn't a lot of people to look to. I was definitely yeah. the only one in my friendship group and family. And so I went and tried back to what I know, lots of different sales and retail roles. And I fell into Michael Hill. And even though if you'd said selling jewelry was something that I would do, I am the worst girl in the world when it comes to jewelry, hair, makeup, shaving my legs, wearing a bra. It's just <laughs> not my thing. But I thrived there. I thrived under the training they gave me. I thrived under the structure of sales. And I realized how good I was at sales and consumer psychology. And they showed me how to lead a team. They taught me to communicate. They rewarded me. And I really thrived. And I ended up building a brand with them called Erin Rowe, which has now gone redundant. And I don't want to talk about that. There's a lot of feelings there. <laughs> but I went alongside them and I built that brand. I spoke into the concept of product and marketing and everything from their pod system to store design. And then I went around and trained and recruited and opened these stores and built their sales systems and I absolutely loved it. But when Baby 3 came along, I knew I, I couldn't do that again. I was working seven days a week, Christmas, I was there, the most insane hours. It was huge. My husband had said to me for a really long time, you should start a business. And I told him he was ridiculous that entrepreneurs either need to have an idea or a lot of money. And he makes me eat those words all the time now. <laughs> But that's what I genuinely believed. And I'm on a bit of a rampage at the moment to tell people that you see potential in their potential because every great successful person has a story of somebody going, you could do that. Or did you know yeah. that this is an option? And I aim to do that for as many flopping people as I find because without it, you don't realize that it's so possible. It's not easy. It is definitely not easy. Mm. And uh, the conversations around people making it look easy, flopping make me so angry. But it's so yeah. possible and achievable. And I, I just would love to see more people having those conversations. But anyway, I digress. Uh, a girl, mum at school was dabbling in social media marketing. She asked me if I wanted to work with her and I said, hell no. So she asked me <laughs> to consult with her and I said, okay. And two weeks later, I realized I was born to do this and we were going to create something really special together. And we spent the next year growing the business. And we had quit our full-time jobs and replaced our salary really quickly and started to hire staff. And then she had her beautiful bubba. 
and went off to be mum and, and pursue other businesses. And I took on Olive Louise Social Solo and we really then fostered into a market agency that I joke about. I rebuilt about four times, but here we are still kicking. Yeah, I love that so much. I think it's really hard. It's impossible to extricate the story of mothership with entrepreneurship for a lot of the women I talk to and it goes hand in hand and really I found myself going from one to two I just don't know how a traditional model of corporate work works for mothers my experience doesn't yeah I just didn't have a life I just lived for the next surviving the next moment but there was no other option that's what everybody around me did and I don't come from a family with babysitting support, financial support, anything. Like, I'm it. This is where it's at. And I did go through a season of working really hard for Michael Hill for that benchmark of when I get here, life will be different. We can afford holidays. Mm -hmm. And I can remember one of of the questions you asked me to prepare for was, oh, was it this or another? Anyway, it doesn't matter. Was what was a moment that felt really unachievable or a really hard moment? And I can remember doing our family budget in that season and allocating the money that we had to what we needed and having this thought of people my age have health insurance. How do people afford that? How am I ever going to get to a space where there is enough money for things like a holiday or health insurance Mm. or you don't have to calculate? It just felt so unattainable to me. And for anyone who's in that space, I want to say the world changes so much faster than it feels like it does. It feels like it's a mile away. But I remember thinking that was the goal for me, just to be able to comfortably afford health insurance and be able to go on a holiday once a year. And I'm not talking an international holiday. I would have taken two nights hotel stay somewhere or a camping ground. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And obviously I pinch myself now, but the conversation needs to change because I think that has to be, and I don't have proven statistics, but common sense tells me has to be a huge driver to the mental health pandemic that we see because women running that rat race and the statistics around the mental health burden that we carry, just having to carry the life admin and the the bucket load of life that is our, generally it's not just us, but it's our partners, it's our parents, it's our brothers, it's our sisters. Mm -hmm. We take a caretaker role in everything that we do. It's huge and it's not sustainable. And we are one of the few generations that have been asked to do it. This time 30 years ago, women were not in the workforce the same way. Before that, nannies were as common as oxygen. You you can dive back into history and if you can't tell I'm a feminist and could rant on this all day, but I will stop really soon. But we're the only generation that's been asked to do it. So if someone doesn't start asking these questions of what does long sustainable living, because statistically households cannot survive on an above average wage of one person not an average wage of one person, an above average pay, wage, a double income, a family of, with one child cannot survive. Now, I've got five of the little things, so I yeah. obviously <laughs> needed to make a plan. They are not cheap. But, yeah, there was no one else doing anything different. So you just get it up and you do what you have to do. And I did think it would lead to this big fancy career, and I realised really quickly that even if it did, I don't think I wanted that. Yeah, that's a great realisation to have. But at the same time, it does sound like they really supported you and you learned and bloomed in that role. The path meant something. Yeah. How, how would you change? What would you change? It, but it ultimately led you to where you are and I'm sure gave you a lot of great skills for your current role. So, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Without a doubt. Yeah. In your intro, I loved how you said, I'm a mother to five and I do a shit job based on what other people would mostly think. 
this is something that I'm currently going through in a very big way because when I had my first baby, I very quickly realized I had this idea in my head that I just, I could not wait to be a mother and I was going to be such a great mother. And like you, I've spent some time in early childhood education and I absolutely hated it as well. And I just thought that maybe it would be different when I had my own kids and all of these types of things. And then I became a mother and the first year of motherhood was absolute hell for me. As much as I loved snuggling my little baby and breastfeeding and I love my son. I really struggled with that time and the stillness of it and the way that my time wasn't mine anymore and that my mind was melting. I was like, I need to be doing more than this. This is slowly killing me. And by about the four month mark, I was, okay, I'm going to start my own business. And it took me a while to start. I started very quickly and I really enjoyed it. And I had a bit of a time where I was grappling with the guilt of not wanting to just be a stay-at-home mum and then wanting more for myself and then not having the childcare because the days don't come up when you need them and all these types of things. So I was still in motherhood. I was working in the evenings. My husband was resentful of me because I was needing him to take the baby on the weekends so I could work on the weekends. And so he was mad at me because he wasn't the the wife and the mother that I thought it would be. So it was a very interesting dynamic for a while. And it took a long time for me to come to terms with it. And it took even longer for him to come to terms with it. And now I have two kids and now I have very big goals for my business. And so along with that, it leads to things like my kids are on daycare five days a week. And I know when I drop my toddler off, I'm the only one with a toddler in that room whose kid is in there five days. And I see on the nappy bins, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then all of the other ones are Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And so I still have guilt about my kids being in daycare five days and prioritizing work and all of these types of things. So it's still a very present and real thing in my life. But yeah, I would love to talk to you about that and pick your brain about how you've experienced that and how you, yeah, how you feel about it and everything. Yeah. I think when I started the Bell Evolution and became a bit of a feminist, I was so scared of that word because feminism was so yucky to me at the time and I didn't associate with that. But I have been through such a massive learning curve and a lot of the things that feminists and mums used to say, I now believe wholeheartedly. And the biggest one of those is the fact that social conditioning is so flopping real. Social conditioning is so flopping real. We are wired by no one saying anything, but everyone saying everything that the epitome of life for us is to have kids. And you get there and it's not the epitome of life for you. And I just want to say that some women it is, and you are beautiful and wonderful and no less. Every woman has a different calling on her life. Every woman has different capacity for different things and comparing them is a really great way to be an ass, I just want to say. So Mm -hmm. for those women who so fulfilled as a role as a mother, our society loves you and you're amazing. And for those who aren't, our society loves you and you're amazing. But I think that we are told that's supposed to be our job and our role. So recognizing that you've got to go through a process of what does society tell me I'm supposed to love doing and what do I actually love doing? And what does society mm. tell me I want to do as a mum? And what do I actually want to do as a mum? What does society tell me is important for my family? And what is actually important for my family? And I wrote that down. I wrote a list of everything that 
needed to happen in a day for my children. And then I highlighted what I actually needed to do. And then I highlighted what I actually wanted to do. And I outsourced like 75% of that list. And I will wholeheartedly say I am a thousand times a better mother because I am so intentional about being an outstanding parent in the moment that I dedicate to parenting than I am when I spent seven hours pureeing organic broccoli into flopping brownies or whatever the <laughs> heck I did because I, I just thought that's what my measure of a mother is, is whether my yeah. kid wears matching sandals and headbands. And I obsessed over this bloody crap. And part of that's being 22 and a mother of the Instagram era and all of that fluff. But really, I, I have a saying that I live by. Well, I have two that I'll share that you can be an amazing mother in a moment. It, sometimes that moment is a 30-second FaceTime call and sometimes it's a three-hour movie trip and sometimes it's a three-day holiday. But motherhood and its greatness is not measured by time. And for some reason, someone decided that was a thing about 10 years ago, that yeah. to be a great mother, you have to spend these copious amounts of time with your kids. If you think of your amazing childhood memories, it's not your mother being home with you for eight hours. That was annoying. Go away. I want to be, it was being at school. It was being with my friends and then coming home and telling her all about it and having her speak life to me. Well, some, my mum's actually crazy, but I'm sure some mums did that. Yeah. So I think that that's really important. And when it comes to mum guilt, I always say mum guilt is real. That mum guilt, whether it's business babies or real babies, if there is a feeling in the pit of your stomach to go, that doesn't sit right, that doesn't feel right. Sometimes I didn't, one of the things I'm noticing lately is I have ADHD as you, and yeah. I can go in the zone and not hear my kids talking to me and that, that's yeah. annoying them. And I'm noticing that and I'm feeling guilty about that. That is a guilt I should listen to and do something about. But if that guilt in any way, shape or form is based on comparison, such as the other daycare kids are only in three days and mine's in five, it is rubbish. Ignore that. The second it is stems from comparison, it's rubbish. But if you genuinely have a guilt that something doesn't fit right for you and your kid, listen to it. It's there to guide you and make you an amazing mum. Bad mums don't have mum guilt. But as I'm throwing the stale Vegemite sandwich at my child as the car's not even at a rolling stop, while Susie Homemaker's freshly baked bloody cinnamon scrolls or whatever the hell was in their lunchbox. I don't feel that's not real. That is not important. That's what's right for them and their family. It's not what's right for my my family. So I automatically know if it comes from comparison, ignore it. If it is genuine guilt, fix it. Do something about it. It's what makes you a great mom. Yeah. Oh, I love that so much. That is very freeing. I'm definitely going to take that on because yeah, I definitely is still a very big part of my life. And yeah, with a few things I'm working through. And it's funny you say about the outsource because one of the things at the moment that this is what I'm going through, I went to a conference recently, SheCom, and the founder and organizer stood up and she spoke. And one of the things that she said was figure out your hourly rate and outsource anything below that. So I have done that. I have hired a chef. I have hired a cleaner for four hours a week. We have an au pair and her kind of role that we swap for her room and lodgings and everything is 10 hours of help a week. And so she was helping in the mornings. But during that time, sometimes I was covering or around or I wasn't really making the most of that time. And now I'm like, go downstairs, have my protein shake and I'm out the door and I'm going to the gym. And I'm like, she's got this. What am I doing? I need to make the most of this time. And then that was another thing of guilt because I'm like, okay, now I'm not even getting my kids ready for daycare, but I actually love her. And 
me going to the gym or for a walk every day is so good for my mental health. So that it does mean when I get back, I can be present with them, have a bit of a play, take them to daycare. And actually today, (laughs) this is so funny. I did a circle time with my son's daycare today. He's four. He's been at daycare for years. I've been wanting to do this for four years. So I finally did it. And I made these costumes and I had to pull the fucking sewing machine out. And I was sewing these costumes for this one song and I was leaving them there. And I was like, oh my God, this is mum of the year shit. But I was also like, I fucking hate this. I want to go to bed. (laughs) I will never forget the time that I volunteered stupidly when my first order started prep to be the reading helper. But like 10 minutes in, I was like, the freaking word is cut. I can't do this on the mat. It's so hard. I can't spend 45 minutes watching you try to read that. Bless the women who can, but it is not me. Yeah, look, and I'd really encourage you to have those conversations with the kids. I think one of the blessings that I have is I've got two who are entering teenagehood. At the same time, I've got my bubbies. And really, you get a testing pad. That sounds awful. But I can see what's benefited them. And I'm so sure now about the different things I do with the kids and the the things that didn't matter. And we have Mm. open conversations around what's important to us as a family and what we are going to attribute time to and what not. And I can see in my teenagers that's really started to instill character in them. Like we, a few years ago, started a routine on a Sunday night, no matter what is happening in our world. It has to be something really extreme, but we have a big family dinner and a bit of a party and we plan our week. We do certain activities together on a Sunday night. And so I can go a week without talking to my kids. I'm I'm fine with that. But Sunday night, I know that we come together as a family. And as they're getting older and getting their social lives, they also prioritize Sunday night. And my son, who's six, he's standing around with a bunch of kids at school and they go, oh, is your mom going to help out at the PNC store? And he goes, no, hell no. And I was like, don't say help. But yes, you're exactly right. That's not mom's thing. She's great at other things, but that's not it. And so we talk really openly about our family values and the fact that mommy can sit here and sort your Lego into matching bins with Instagrammable labels or... I can go and do this and you can do that. We talk about these things and I truly believe they're better humans for it. I think that our society has a lot of issues with kids that don't know that parents are not at their beck and call. You can't click my fingers and I'm just there. But when you need me, I will always be there. And there is time that we dedicate to the things that are important to us. And I think the other really big thing I want to touch on is that people don't understand some people's relationship with work and this is where the title big lifers comes from because we want to do something really big in this world whether it's earn big money make a big impact change an industry change people whatever that is and it's a really uncomfortable lonely place and I've had this concept for so long and I felt so broken and at times when I'm close to burnout I think am I teaching generations of women the wrong thing but Stephen Barlow no. recently did a, an episode on this and I've never felt so seen and less broken. But you, my relationship with work is life. I don't finish work and go and have fun. My work is my fun. I don't need the same things that you need. It's not work-life balance. It's just life. It's just this thing that I do. I'm blessed enough to make what I love doing my income. And some people don't need that. Some people don't want that. And that's okay. But people look at working and mothers like we have to work, like it's a sympathy or that must be really tough on you. It's I choose this. I don't have to do this. 
the money that I may earn or that you think I have is just a happy byproduct of what I choose to do for me and my family. And I think that when you start to have those conversations with people around you, it creates change as well that this isn't a, I have to do this. Don't look at me with sympathy. I choose this and I like this and this is my cup filling in my own way. Yes, I totally agree with that. And it's funny with my early years of motherhood and with Levi, we went to counseling and he was like, I keep saying to her, go and get a massage when the kids are in daycare, go and get a massage, have some time to yourself. And I'm like, my work is my time to myself. Actually, I had to really get him to understand that my it was my brain needing time, not my body necessarily. And ultimately, I'd love to have both. And that's what I have now. <laughs> But at the time, it was my brain that was needing something and he just didn't understand that. So we get to make our own path and we get to decide what it looks like for us. And like you say, it can be if you want to be mother of the year or you are mother of the year and that's your thing. That's so cool too. And I wish it was mine sometimes. But at the same time, when I hear from my students in my course about how they're booking projects or that they're booked up till next year or that they've just charged their first $6,000 project or whatever it is, these huge wins. Those are just as amazing to me as spending 30 minutes with my child in the pool and having an amazing time with him. I get value and reward from both sides. Yeah. And the moral of the story is start articulating that. Write that down, what you want out of life, what you want out of motherhood and know that your children will be loved and nurtured either way. cleaning your own house, packing your own lunchboxes, doing your own drop-offs, whatever that looks like and what your family has capacity for, doesn't create good humans. Speaking into their life and loving them stupid does. And you're going to do that in the way. So I would say start to articulate that and surround yourself with other women like that. And it does start to change perception really quickly. Yeah, that's so good. I'm stoked that I'm surrounding myself with you. Okay, so we have touched on the big lifers and that kind of goes hand in hand with the bell evolution. So this is a networking and events and yeah, space that women can come together and really get to know each other. So I'd love to know what sparked the idea and really how does it differ from different networking events or spaces that you've been in before. I know that there's a few points of difference that I really love and that definitely made me buy my first ticket. So yeah, can you talk us through that a little bit? Yeah. It was really born by complete accident, like all of my businesses actually, and my children. (laughs) Now that I think about it, I'm really not good at the planning part. But it came down to, I I learned the hard way, the power of surrounding yourself with the right people. You are, I know everyone says it, but you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And in business, it's not an option. You have to level up the people to level up your business. You have to surround yourself with the right people. And so I was really actively looking for spaces to network that were right for me. My business at the time was turning over about half a million dollars a year. It was definitely established. I had staff issues and I was seeing more clearly than ever challenges that come with being a woman, but I was seeing them in a really different light. And all of the conversations for women in business revolved around being mothers. And yes, that's a piece of the puzzle, but it's a logistics problem. Can I just say there's so much more to being a woman in business than just having appendages that you have to find time and energy for. There is things that can become our superpowers that don't fit into the traditional landscape of business. The way that I love my staff, the way that I want to build my 
business to nurture them and see them thrive, the way that I'm creative, the way that I'm emotional, these things that are very stereotypical women, don't come at me if you're not an emotional woman, but most of us are, they can become a business superpower. And there was no space to talk about what that looks like. And there was no one talking about that in any way, shape or form. And when I went to women in business events, they were really toned at motherhood and a little bit gag-worthy, if I'm being painfully blunt. And when I went to other businesses events, they were either aimed at startups, which I wasn't, and I just found myself becoming a bit of a coach in the room because clearly I'm such a shy, delicate wallflower that would never do that. Or when I went to events that were bigger, they were very male-dominated and you had to wade through all of these egos and sales pitches to get to anything juicy. And they looked at you like you were absolutely nothing. So I, I was like, this is wrong. And I think I also, if I'm being really honest, was in a place which so many women do and no one talk about, which is the feeling of when you don't feel good, the way that you treat other women. And I'll put my hand up and say, I was one of those women. I was scared of people and it made me look for reasons why they were wrong. And it made me look for reasons why they were doing things bad. And I didn't like that about myself. And I I had a circumstance where I was busily tearing a woman apart and she was so inspired by me. And it came to my attention. I just thought, I got to do better. I really need to go to work and do this. And I also went to an awards. I went to the Osmanpreneur Awards, which at the time was such a turning point in me. Not so much winning the award, but telling the story of what I'd created and why I did it and how I did it. And I just thought there's so much power in connecting and talking intentionally about this stuff. And then I look at my history and I was the teenager that threw the most radical parties and was on the news. And I knew that I could host a space. I knew that I could create energy. What I didn't expect was Belle to become as much about me or my story. And I know that sounds really weird because, again, I don't hate attention. But believe it or not, (laughs) in that space, I really did. I did not feel equipped or worthy to lead or be perceived to tell anyone what they should be doing. And it really nearly killed me in the early days. Mm. I, I really struggled with it. I really, it grew so quickly. And I just felt horrendous sitting on the stage and so much attention on me so quickly was really hard at the time. And so there's a few things that I decided in that moment we were going to do differently. And one is I really know what my product is at Bell. I know my ability to pull out the most astounding story from someone who's never thought of telling their story before. I know how to create a room where we don't have small talk, but intentional conversation. I can't stand small talk. It's why I married an African, I reckon, because their parties, you just dance or you talk intense <laughs> politics. Don't do this small. I'm so bored yeah. by small talk. And so I knew that. But I also made a lot of criteria around who I wouldn't have on that stage and the themes that we would discuss and the fact that I don't have to have the answers and the people on the stage don't have to have the answers, but the power comes in asking the question and telling the story. And yeah, I think that has been the biggest point of difference is that we don't amplify imposter syndrome because of that. You don't come and meet people that you think you can never be like. You come and meet people that you'd love to be like and you hear their worst stories and go, oh my God, they went through this too. There's hope and there's light. You come with very actionable things that you can take back into your business and you come with a very intentional action of meeting people who are going to serve you as mentors, as referrals, as friends, as connections. 
but in a really non kind of aggressive and cultish way that others tend to do that. So yeah, I think I've always just stayed really steadfast to who we are. Not always, there's definitely been times that I've wandered a bit, but for the most part, I've been able to stay steadfast into who I am and what I wanted to create and why this was born. And it's going through a bit of a transformation at the moment. You're going to see some new things in 2024 because of that, because I need to go back to what am I here to do and how do I want to do it? Yeah. And that's actually one of the things we've talked about at not the last one, the one before at your mission, values, purpose, and that is so integral. And I'm learning that over and over again in my business at the moment. And yeah, it's really key to keep that top of mind and always come back from it and not deviate from it, but make sure that everything you're doing is aligned to that. Oh my gosh, I'm excited to see what you do. Yeah. And I think it even goes back to the conversation around motherhood. I realized that to be successful, you have to know where you want to go in every aspect of your life. Like, What should it say on your flipping gravestone is something that I would encourage you to think about because then you stop thinking about what's next. Like you, I feel stuck. I feel uncomfortable. What's next for me? And when you get that feeling, you get distracted by things like what other people are doing or making money or what's available or I hate that saying, like just say yes to every opportunity. What if that opportunity doesn't take you in the direction you want to go? That's silly. Being so sure of the path that you want. You don't have to know how to get there. That's crazy. You just focus on the next step. But you do need to know where you want to end up and what that looks like for you. And that was such a pivotal moment for me and something I'm re-looking at now even. Do you mind me asking, what do you want it to say on your gravestone? (laughs) Yeah, no, absolutely. Oh, look, I still get a bit wanky talking about it. But for me, my whole life is about impact. And I know that's a really easy and it sounds really philanthropic, but I just want to be really clear as much as sure it feels great to think that you're impacting others. It's 100% the feeling that I get when I feel like I've made a change to somebody. And that comes from people commenting on my TikTok saying they've tried one of my recipes or telling someone how much I love Costco to these bigger conversations around motherhood and business. Even back in Michael Hill, I loved hosting performance workshops and seeing people really gain confidence in a skill. Something I said clicked. And when I go back even further, I studied drama for a really long time. I didn't love the stage. I didn't want to be famous, but I loved the feeling of getting a reaction out of the audience or impacting somebody. And I can see that stemming right back to my childhood. And so I need to impact this world. I get uncomfortable when I think of the fact I'm not to the point that I something I'm really struggling with, if I'm being honest. I know this sounds like such a bloody, oh God, wanky thing to say, but it just feels <laughs> like there's this ticking time bomb. When I say impact, I don't mean a little bit of impact. I want to change the flipping world. It's what I'm put yeah. here to do and I don't know how to do it don't know what it looks like, don't even know what the topic is, but I'm so frustrated not doing that or not moving towards that and it's killing me. And if I wasn't acutely aware of what that is, it would be so easy for me to go and invest a business or buy a house or distract myself with all of these things that make me feel like I'm moving forward and would be moving me forward, but they're not actually related to what I want. It's not driven by money. It's not driven by a lifestyle change. On paper, I have everything that the girl who all she wanted to do was afford health insurance wants and has. I'm so blessed and so proud of the life I've created. I'm not taking too humble to say that I've worked really hard, but what is ultimately going to tick my bucket? I do in some ways. The Bell Stage is my happy place and I love sharing my story on TikTok probably more than I should. But (laughs) Yeah, that is what fills my cup and drives my soul and everything is fueled around that. 
Amazing. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. So this leads into another question that I had for you. And I love this, that you mentioned this at the last Bell event. You were like, famous on TikTok guys. And I looked you oh, up God. I'm not on TikTok a lot. And I, I was like, oh, you have like 50,000 followers or something. I was amazing. Totally. You are famous on TikTok. <laughs> so I think one of the things that you talk about on TikTok is your dresses. And every time you get a new dress, like yeah. a colorful frock. <laughs> so what does it mean to you? And how did you start going down that path and yeah. develop that sense of style? Oh, golly. So my TikTok is such a mishmash. I really have no plan. And I'm working on that. But yeah, one of the things I do is share my frocks and that that started off because people would ask me about them because they are incredibly weird and wonderful. But what they actually stand for is when you don't feel good as a woman, the first place it shows up is when you get dressed. And I don't necessarily think that's about how we look all the time as I'm an overweight mm. person. And I'm, look, to at the risk of making a lot of people mad, I'm quite happy being fat. As long as I feel healthy, I know I'm not healthy. Mm. I, I don't want to go into that conversation. But as long as I feel good and feel energized, I'm very comfortable in my own skin. I have a gorgeous husband who thinks I look like Pam Aniston no matter what season of life I'm in. So that helps. But I'm pretty much committed to letting myself go at this point. I've had five kids. I'm married. I'm going to stop <laughs> shaving and I'm good eating KFC for breakfast. But if you don't, feel or authentic or successful, it's where it shows up. It's when you walk into a boardroom. I sit on a national board and I would feel the need to put pants on. I never wear pants. They're like leg prison. When we go to a Bell event and you, I was on stage and obviously there's a lot of photographs and, and Instagram happening. It's a big room of 100 successful women, who half of which I admire. And I would freak out about what I was wearing, whereas most of the time I wouldn't give two rats tails. So I think when you don't feel good, well, that's where it shows up for you. And me and my frocks were a way of working through that right from a teenager that just never felt comfortable in her own skin or never felt like she fit anywhere. So now not fitting is my brand. I need to stand out as much as possible at all times. I need to be if the sign says go left, I go right. If the business book says do X, Y, Z, I do A, B, A, C. So not fitting in is my brand. And so I think that subconsciously they're a bit more nostalgic than just a frock with a banana on it or whatever I've got going on that day. But on TikTok, people just ask me about them. And I love promoting small businesses. I only shop for small businesses. And so I love sharing them. It's never paid because that would mean I would need some control over what falls out of my face and that I don't it's just genuinely what I love and who I love. I love that you're self-aware about all of these things about yourself as well. And you're just like, it is who I am. Take it or leave it. And I actually think that stands to show why you have so many followers because people are attracted to those things. They see the authenticity and they see through fakeness. And that's probably why you have so many followers. So not everything needs to be monetized or everything needs to have a goal or a plan or a business objective. But I'm just loving that a rocking TikTok that you love it. Every time we have our masterminds, you're like, oh, check out this person on TikTok. So yeah. I do need to spend more time on there. I do find that the algorithm is so good. Every time I do go on there, when I go back on there again, the videos that get served to me, I'm always like, yes, I need to spend more time on here. But yeah, I think there's a lot of scope for TikTok. I love <laughs> TikTok. All time there. Yeah, like, it yeah, is, it is so terrifying. Good. It's highly addictive. And I also have to say the smart businesswoman in me, as much as I say I don't monetize things, but there, there is a strategic plan there. Yeah. It is fueling, I guess, some intention for me. But I think that 
monetizing too quickly dilutes the brand. So I'd yeah, I not agree willing to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Okay. So I would love to come back a little bit to the Bell events and talk a little bit about networking. I guess this is big lifers as well. But, oh, and probably also Olive Social. I'm sure it's made a difference in your primary business as well. But I think that, and I have found in my experience that networking is such a great part of business growth in terms of what you learn, in terms of the confidence that you develop, in terms of, like you say, leveling up yourself because you're surrounding yourself with really successful, positive people, but also referrals and also friendships. And there's so many facets to it, which I really love. Are there any instances that you've had that have made a significant difference to the trajectory of Olive Louis Social or that you've experienced or that you've witnessed through the big classes? So many. Bloody hell. And look, I'm very strategically planned to host events and memberships that feed my soul and my (laughs) business journey. But the whole Bell Evolution concept was planned, was inspired to some degree by one of my best friends, Kirsty, who's in your mastermind program, actually. Yeah. Because she should be my competitor. We both have marketing agencies, but she's not. She's my biggest cheerleader, collaborator, and she single-handedly in my relationship with her has changed my business trajectory forever. Having someone else in the industry with different sets of skills and experiences to bounce not just big ideas, but specifics, like what program do you use for this? How do you report on this? What would you do in this circumstance is huge. The second biggest thing I would say is a movement that we really encourage in Bell is find your five. So find five people that you are proud to be the average of in many ways, shape or form. It could be character, business, et cetera. And tell them your mission statement, what you want to achieve in this world. Tell them your values of how you want to do it. Tell them your fears and then ask them to call you out on your bullshit and trust them with their answer. So what that means is, for example, I have a client situation six months ago, a lady that just wasn't the right personality fit for our business and was very misleading in terms of how she wanted us to work. And we are very stern in our values of how we partner with businesses and what that looks like in our communication methods, et cetera. And I felt like I was being shanghaied a bit and wanted to ultimately fire myself. But it was really triggering to do that. Anyone who's been in that circumstance will tell you it's not an easy thing to do. There's so many repercussions of it, especially remember, I'm this girl with the networking event in Brisbane and there's so many incestual layers. And so I call my five and go, this is the situation. This is what I said. This is what she said. This is how I'm feeling. Is it real? And they're either going to go, no, follow your gut release those feelings or yeah do something about it and I trust either way because when you're in that moment the anxiety that you're feeling the fears they're not real it's like being PMSy all the time or if you've ever had a baby it's like that after you have the baby think shit I was hormonal and that was not rational yeah having a business is like that on roids constantly there's the emotional triggers you're having are not real and it takes a lot of practice to know that about yourself and to be able to predict those feelings and that chaos and see sense and reason through them sometimes. And I'm a lot better at it now, but this time four years ago, I was calling these people on the weekly going, this has really upset me. Everything from a client email to a staff situation to results, like whatever it might be. And you just trust them. You chose them because you trust them. So if they tell you that what you're feeling isn't real, I still do it now to Kirsty. I'll come off a bell stage and go, it feels really frightened here. She goes, no, it's in your head. Or she'll go, yeah, lift it. This is what you need to do all the time. And so 
that I think is probably the biggest single gift that that has created in Bell is that place where people go, I'm feeling this is real or do I need to let this go? But there's stories of collaboration. There's people who have started businesses together. There are so many people working together. There is a lady that had to flee DV and it was a bunch of Bells that came in and helped her do that. There's so many, I think, I, I recently had a focus group for Bell and the words they used was, you can't count the ripples that you're creating. The people that just think I could. And Bell's mission is not for people to start businesses. It's people to flop and think big. Let's break those starts. I don't want to just see a generation of freelancers working in between daycare hours and thinking that's freedom. For some people it is, and that's amazing. But let's be millionaires. Let's change industries. Let's sit on boards and Fortune 500 companies and let's be investors and gain investors and let's really start to make some radical movement. And that's what a lot of our conversations are. So I think the second biggest change is people who have businesses starting to think like that. Yeah, that's so true. And I personally have experienced what you say about telling it straight. In the first session, I remember we all sat down and we were like, okay, what are our goals for the six months? And I remember saying my goal and one of the women in my mastermind said to me, what you're doing is not aligned with your goal. <laughs> I was like, oh. So it's so funny because you sometimes think you've got things figured out. And I was like, I'm at a really good place in my business and I'm really comfortable and I just want to streamline a bit. And then I, ca- I walked in and everything got shaken up and I was like, okay. And I walked out of there and I was like, all right, I'm, I need to do things differently. So that was like a massive, yeah, a massive shift for me. So I do really moment. love that. Yeah, Karina, yeah. <laughs> another one of your mastermind members, uh, she made it to the focus group and that's exactly how she described it too. But in not such a kind way, she's like, butt was sore. She's like, <laughs> they basically yelled at me, well, like in a very loving way. But I think yes. like, some of the words out of her mouth were, we're not profitable, but that's okay. And we're like, hang on a minute never okay not to be profitable so yeah look uh, the big life is in a league of its own I'm so proud of that program and I'm really looking at ways to expand it because I just think that the intentional action that happens there is so fantastic but yeah I see what it brings in 2024 yeah it's almost a permission slip in some ways because I feel like there are some spaces and some groups and events that are almost small for women it's this whole girl boss era I'm a feminist as well but in some ways, I think the group like-minded bitches drinking wine, it's you can't just be a boss, you're a girl boss, or you know what I mean? Does that make sense to you? Yeah. I Look, one more rant. I know that you probably need to wrap this up, but <laughs> this conversation is so important. And I think that just like any group, women is not a niche. I think that people think when you look at all the niches of men and male working groups, and you've got all tradie boys and corporate boys and nerdy boy, like but women is just a niche. There are so many different parts of cloth of us. And I think that really that is what I stand for across all of my businesses, even the marketing agency in our own way, that the power comes into really narrowing down and understanding who you are and what you want, whether it's a marketing brand or whether it is you as a mother, whether it's you as a female business owner or you as a flopping human being. Do the work to figure out what do you want and really let go of what society tells you to do and then make a plan to get there. And I think from a marketing angle, that's what creates trendsetters as opposed to trend followers. It's people who know their people so in tune, 
know consumer psychology and could just speak straight to it. And we see brands taking over the world. First brands that are constantly trying to follow this blueprint so to make their own. And that's my message for women as well, is that there is no right or wrong way to mother or have a business. You get to rewrite this book. And there are so many pulls against women doing that, that you have to work through. Yes, they're unfair, whinge, 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 blah, 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 but they're there. Let's just get a helmet and get it done. It's time to just work through them. We are breadwinners. We are selfish. We not do what we need to do for the family. A man does it. He's an amazing provider. And there are yeah. so many contradictions like that that you do. You, you got to get a bit of a thick skin. You got to get a, a helmet and put some glitter and sparkles on it and just buckle in for the ride. But it's the best thing you'll ever do. Yes, I totally agree with that. I could definitely talk to you all day. (laughs) I didn't even know what the time was. We must have to do a part two because I had so many more questions for you about building an agency and managing staff and all of these things. And also um, I talk too much. I'm acutely aware of (laughs) I do as well. I have ADHD, so I think we're in good company. (laughs) We're a solid combo, yeah. Yes, totally. And as well, I think this is just a good example of how your ball events go because you always have such great things to say. You do bring high energy. And so, yeah, I just think it's a great snapshot. Before we wrap up, can you give us any insights or do you have any exciting projects on the horizon for 2024 that you can give us a little bit of a teaser about? I have so (laughs) many projects on the horizon for 2024. Oh, look, I'll start with the agency. We are going to work on what I call our product. That's an, another podcast for another day. But we will be pioneering some really cool strategies in the e-commerce space and just really becoming the one-stop shop for e-commerce scaling brands, which is cool. There's mm. so much work to do there before the year's end, but we are getting there. Bell next year, there's going to be lots the same and a lot different. We're not going anywhere. We're doing what we want to do and what we do best. We are just looking at how we can level up our event structure more than anything to keep it fresh and interesting. We are really working hard to be more inclusive into what I call entrepreneurs. So women who are carrying leading roles in other businesses, which has been on my heart for quite some time. So you will see more of them join our space. We have quite a few already. And we're really looking at how we can foster mentoring relationships. And then once we have some of those puzzles pieces together, we will go back to touring around Australia and getting Belle in front of more people. Oh, so good. That's so exciting. Okay. Can you tell us how people can connect with you and find you online? Oh, flop. Anyway, my face is literally everywhere. It drives me crazy. Instagram, TikTok, all of Louise Social, The Bell Evolution are the two businesses but you'll find Jess and Denda everywhere as well. Google me. My teenagers say it's a good time. <laughs> Amazing. Okay. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to see what comes from this and to see how working with you is going to change my business and life. I'm really grateful for you and thank you so much for your time today. Oh, ditto. You can just follow me around all day. <laughs> all right. Bye, lovely. If you love what I do here, let's connect. I tend to hang out on Instagram and you can find me at Seedling Digital and at Women Wealth WordPress. You can head to womanwealthwordpress.com forward slash freebie to download my free Embrace Your Dream Life workbook. This guide is over 10 pages of actionable information and worksheets designed to help you build a profitable and fulfilling business in three steps. Get clear on your why, improve your money mindset, and hone in on your messaging. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave me a rating and a review. It truly means the world to me and I read every message and kind word. Till next time, aim big. Aim big.